are. We are here. Episode 79 of the Movie Schmovie podcast. Hey. I am John Walker, and sitting to my left is Ronald James, and sitting to my right, kind of across the table from me, looking really good in this lighting, is <laughs> Steve Reeder. <laughs> hey guys, what's going on? Not a whole lot, obviously, from yeah, the Yeah, I know, exactly. Yeah, We've got... We're, we're kind of coming in with empty pockets tonight. We don't have any one specific movie or, or topic. What have you guys seen? You want to give us a few? I've been waiting for this, Steve, to, to use this. You want to give us a few, a new feature we can call Quick Reads. Quick Reads. Steve Reader. Ooh. Oh, look at this. But the thing is, my last name is actually not Reader. It's Ritter. So. Okay, see, like but, John <laughs> see, but I've been, forever been You've been calling me Reader, but I, I mean, no, most I, people do. I asked you what it should be, and you said Reader's fine. Readers doesn't insult me. It's not the correct way. It's fine. No, what's you, funny is I was I was name. correcting people and saying Ritter for like a couple of years, and then everyone was saying Reader, and then one day I asked you, and you said Reader's fine. Well, I'm an asshole because I yeah. was lying. Yeah, to you. No. that's really weird. No, it's Ritter, but I think okay. good, quick reads with Ritter. Is just, yeah. <laughs> okay. Quick. How about this then? Quick Ritz with Steve. It doesn't work. As well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. Unless it was just you eating a Ritz cracker for a second. Ritz crackers are really good yeah. though. You want a quick Ritz? I would love a quick so Ritz. Ritter. It's Ritter. It always has been. You know what's weird? You've never said your... You don't really say your last name. I don't really say it, you know... I don't really announce myself when I walk into a room <laughs> Why don't you? It's weird when you meet people that introduce themselves first and last name. I don't know that I ever have. Oh, my goodness. All the time. All the time. If somebody else introduces them to me, it's the, usually the first yeah. and last. And then it's, oh, just call me Ronald. Frederick. Frederick <laughs> Sampson speaking. Right, right. Uh, I was wondering if you can help me with... What? Why you t- why you give me your own name? Actually, that's true. Actually, now that I think about day to day, my job mm-hmm. it is usually very everybody strange. says their first last name. That's yeah. true. That's very weird that people do that. But my quick my quick Ritz yeah. read whatever <laughs> you want to call. Them. I did see a couple movies this week that probably at least at this point in the year I would say are on the top of my favorite movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where they fall, mm-hmm. but they're definitely up there. Uh, the first is uh, the film Mud. Mm-hmm. Man, um, I wanted to see that. Which I don't know why it took me forever to see this movie. Um, a lot of people had recommended it to me. Um, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Sam Shepard. I forget who else was in the film. Um, the stars of the film are two younger kids, like two young boys, who are just really, really great in the movie. Um, it's from the director of Take Shelter, and uh, just a really kind of great coming-of-age story kind of movie. These kids kind of right on that verge of, of teenage adolescence and, you know, kind of being exposed to a character, Matthew McConaughey's character. They kind of come upon him on this, this island that they go to um, to get away from their families, and there's just this boat literally in a tree that's that's going to be their treehouse, but they one day they go there and meet this character, Mud, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of get thrown into his world and kind of get a taste of what this guy's experienced in his life and learn a lot through that. And some of it gets kind of dark, and some of it is actually kind of bright in terms of some of the themes of like love and family. The kids learn a lot of when was what not to do through him. Mm. But it's a really incredible movie. I loved it. I've watched it twice, actually, in the past couple of weeks. Dang. And the other film I'd say, well, I saw Blackfish um, this past week at the Charles here in Baltimore. It expanded here, and it's kind of slow rollout. Every time I turn the TV on, any of the news, like morning news, like there's some mention of this movie, mm-hmm. especially like Tommy with Shark Week and everybody's talking about basically sea life, period. They're mentioning this film. Um, basically, it's a big week if you're a creature of the sea. This it is. is a big week this is, for you. This is, uh, this is your week. <laughs> this is like when you want your new single to drop yeah, or best something week like ever that. Of the year. Best week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, for those not aware, it's basically a documentary about the... Uh, Tilikum, who's mm-hmm. one of the orcas at SeaWorld Orlando, 
and uh, just a discussion expose. I mean, I don't know how. It's interesting, like seeing the film that I don't think that it, it, I don't think that the filmmaker blatantly rips SeaWorld apart. I mean, I think that they are very clear in what their suggestion is in in, in their film, but um, really sad to watch. Um, as a as a at one point in my life, I'd always wanted to be a marine biologist or an oceanographer, but and we go to SeaWorld regularly, having just gone there in April and and having pictures on my iPhoto. After seeing the movie, I went back and found pictures that I have of Tilikum, which is the whale in the film that they feature. Uh, it's just really sad and um, has me really rethinking uh, how I feel about parks like that and supporting things like that, specifically for the whales and the dolphins at that park. Um, just, you know, whether that the conditions can ever be present for them to live a quality of life that they'd ever, even a percentage of what they would have in the wild. Um and it all kind of came about because there was an attack in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Branchow was killed live during a, a meet and greet show at SeaWorld Orlando. Oh, wow. And it just basically kind of exposes that and discusses you know, SeaWorld's reaction to it, not really accepting any kind of responsibility and um, basically writing it off as like trainer error, which is just completely, it's hard to watch in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially talking to like former trainers that worked there at some point at the park and, you know, uh, people that had been involved with that whale through its life being captured in Iceland off the waters and, and the different marine parks that it had made its way through where it had basically attacked other trainers in, in its life. Um, it's just really, really incredible documentary. I mean, it's one of those things like the Cove that came out a few years ago that just completely just like kind of shakes you up and it's a real life thing that just, you know, you kind of overlook a lot, especially me. Like, I just feel like I, I love that aspect of life, the marine life, the water, the ocean, and it's just, you know, it's very informative and it's absolutely polarizing, but it's something I feel like everybody should see. It's the same way you feel about like circuses and zoos. So. It's, it's a it's a it's a tough thing because, like I said, you know, I'm a, you're always kind of aware of that notion of like something doesn't feel right about it that I can pay 50 bucks and go to this park and see this show with this, you know, Tilikum is actually the largest, largest orca in captivity in the world. He's two times as big as any other whale at SeaWorld. And he's on display every day, multiple times a day at this show. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't, and it always kind of was weird to me, but I always was just, uh, I was in it. So I, I, I never was able to separate and kind of look at it in this light. And the way that the film kind of like throws it out there, it's it's just really, you know, it's kind of eye-opening. And I mean, I think their main thing is just that orcas and whales in captivity for entertainment purposes is, is, it, is the issue. But uh, absolutely, try to see Blackfish. There's no doubt in my mind that it's going to be a, movie, a documentary that's going to be talked about at Oscars and nominated for, you know, whatever else comes out. I'm sure that it's probably got some competition, but that's that like documentary that comes out earlier in the year that will surely be nominated for an Oscar. I think to make it's a great film to like, just to satisfy your conscience, what you ought to do is take your next vacation in an environment where you can encounter like an orca in the wild. I would love that. <laughs> right, right. Like literally when we left the screen, my girlfriend, and I like, we need to go like in British Columbia, they do the kayaking with the orcas mm-hmm. in like the little harbors. Like that is absolutely Outside of the ones that we have coming up in the next like six months, like that's the next trip. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that would probably just blow anything I've experienced out of SeaWorld out of the water, and I'd be okay with never going there again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I don't know. That that's that's kind of like a it went kind of sad towards the end there. But oh. Mud and Blackfish, two films I loved, I've seen over the past couple of weeks, and both of them are probably my top five or five of the year so far easily. I had a 
similar experience. What'd you see? I saw Fruitvale Station. It's based on uh, the 2009 murder of Oscar Grant III. <clears throat> happened in California. He was going to uh, go see fireworks um, in San Francisco. Um, and it was like a, a train ride that his mom suggested he go on instead of driving because she was afraid that he'd get drunk. Um, he got accosted by uh, a guy that he had been in jail with. And after that, like a fight broke out. Um, he was brought out um, to the basically the waiting area by the police. Um, and he was shot in front of a couple hundred people. Um, in the back. In the back. On his, so Laying they, on the ground. Yeah, he kneed his head down. And then he told him to turn around while someone's knee was on his head. So he couldn't physically move. And because he didn't move, he got shot, which was really weird. So they show that footage at the beginning. And it's basically the last couple of days of his life. Um, of course, dramatized, changed, you know, but it's 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 an incredible movie. It showed basically the idea that, like, uh, there is a serious problem with the way young black men are perceived in this country. No. Oh, just like kind of demonized in a lot of ways. And and it's weird that like uh, this is the first movie that I've seen that have that's kind of had all that stuff in and made it balanced because because they showed all the things that he did he sold weed he did he did things that were like any other person trying to find his way in the world you know mm-hmm. what I mean and then um, these incredible things that he did for people just that he didn't know like just incredible testaments to people kind of saying how great he was in fact one of the people. That he helped actually saw him get shot on the train, which is a crazy sort of weird cosmic connection that he had. It's 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 a really sad movie. Michael B. Jordan is incredible as Oscar Wallace. Grant. Yeah, Wallace. Uh, Octavia wire, yeah. Spencer is his mom, very very good actress, and his daughter in it is incredible as well. So it's it's worth checking out. Well, I only saw one movie in the last week or so, but it's. Uh... It's, it's tied into what we're probably about to talk about, so I'll just I'll just mention it, and then we'll jump right into our next topic. Okay. I saw a Drive finally. Woo! For the first <laughs> and, time, and I really I really enjoyed it. I thought Good. it was I thought it was great. I thought that it was, let's say, a movie that was visually stunning, and yet it also had things like dialogue. Uh, <laughs> why would anybody choose to do that? What a conscious decision. It to had, have logic and, it, it, and story and it had dialogue and it had plot. <laughs> and I there were characters that I remember uh, right. and even though one character didn't have a name, yeah, but he had a character. It's exact yeah, his name matters not. So of course, uh, I'm saying all that to refer to the uh the, the latest Nicholas Vending Refn film that he's done with Ryan Gosling, which we actually covered in in separate worlds on our last episode. It was sort of a tease. We we all we all phoned in or we all sent in our voice uh, mails yeah. for the for the seventy eight point five. So if you listen to that, you heard our initial thoughts on a couple of movies, Wolverine and the latest Nicholas Vending Refn film, Only God Forgives. We were you know, since we all talked about them separately, it was only after we finished that episode and we had all heard it that we uh, we realized that there was uh, some some disagreement, perhaps even some strong disagreement yeah. on this one. And maybe actually it would have been more fun to have that conversation all in one room. <laughs> and since I am precisely on the fence, I'm an ambivalent motherfucker about this movie. Ronald has described it as a great film. I thought it was a great film. Steve thinks it's everything but a great film. 
The, I think now it's time to have another debate. We haven't had a debate in a long time. We're going to debate. The name of this. Not yeah, do you have a ding ding? Like start the round? I don't know. I was I wanted to have a sound effect handy, but I, yeah. I don't this time. But I was, uh, you know, the nature of this debate comes, I think, down to the point of when a director is kind of feeling their oats and making a movie that's extremely mm. their own vision and extremely personal. What responsibility do they have to to service a plot or to service an audience that may be expecting something a little bit more inviting or a little bit more uh, engaging in that sense because if you thought it was great and you thought it was pretty terrible then yeah. i mean clearly that's a movie well, that's, that's making some strong choices one way or the other that's what's you know? happening like that all of the reviews are either i fucking hated her or it was a great movie i've never heard I've, i haven't heard anybody say anything in between well except for john except for me except yeah. for john who's in between <laughs> but um go ahead i don't have opinions i have thoughts guys I wanna, <laughs> just the way I, it's just very the way I obvious that you didn't like the movie me. Yeah, you. My biggest issue, I, I guess we started talking about it after the fact, is mm -hmm. that I feel like, and even with Ronald mentioning that, it's so polarized that either they love it or they hate it. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you look at the people, and not to point anybody out, but the people that are saying that they love it, I honestly think in more cases than not, it's I get the sense that people are just like making excuses for this filmmaker because he has talent. Not fucking true. But it is true. If it wasn't Nicholas Vindigreffen's film, yeah. mm -hmm. if it was John Q's film, who's never made a film Fair. ever before and has never worked with Gosling, had no expectation, he was this new cat on the block, people would not watch this movie and it, it would not have that block at the very, very positive side. I'm, I'm totally confident in that. I think that his reputation... Because of other films, I mean, I love Drive. I like Bronson. I, I think even those films, which are like brutal, just mm -hmm. I think Bronson is just as brutal in a lot of ways as Only God Forgives. Yeah. But there's something that there's something to Bronson in story and character, in in script, you know, anything. There, mm -hmm. There's elements that exist in that film where I think that this is a this was just a case of like a filmmaker that just kind of lost. It almost feels to me like he like just lost his way and made this film because he could with the guy he could and made whatever he went, wanted, you know, and, and made decisions for himself, like John was kind of saying when we were talking about it after the fact. I don't know if it's necessarily, like, who directed it that made me... So I knew that I knew that because of location-wise that it was, it was a Bangkok movie. I knew that it was going to be odd. I knew that he was going to make it weird. So I didn't really have any super-duper crazy expectations in terms of that, so... You know what? The karaoke thing was so fucking weird to me. <laughs> what was that about? Like, yeah, explain that to me, Ronald. What's the purpose of that? That's so Where does that fall into the story or that character? What is that? I think it was the idea that he was so comfortable being in the position that he was that he was just karaoke one day, another moment slicing someone's fucking brains out of their head. I think it was like it was like just a kind of glimpse at who this person was. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I do really... think it was an expression of what we're referring to is the fact that this this character Chang, who's kind of the, the he's he's the unstoppable machine in this yeah. movie. I mean, he's uh, the that, angel that, of vengeance. That in between violent acts, he seems to go to this karaoke club and perform a song. But I think the key thing is there that is that he's kind of performing it for his men. Did you get? That... I do think it's like an expression of his power that I'm going to do this, and it almost seemed like his men sort of loved it. 
and loved looked up to him. I don't know. That was weird. Did you get that he was a statue? There was a lot of like standing still and characters not speaking and a lot of characters just sitting there with kind of impassive expressions on their face. So I feel like that's one of those scenes where if I were enjoying the movie, which at certain moments I was, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of neat that his men just kind of sit there and indulge him like this and they may even enjoy it. But if I were tired of the film, as I'm sure you were from a few minutes in, I could totally see how those scenes would just infuriate me because the, the scenes where he sings karaoke... It's not like you get a few seconds of it and then they cut away. You, you get, get a, a whole you get a pretty song. full karaoke. Yeah, they license that whole song. Yeah, yeah they right. get a whole song. But Did I actually you... thought he was great. I will say one of my favorite things about the movie was just Chang and that that actor's performance. But if I, I would have been fine with a villain who kind of doesn't speak much and moves really slowly and methodically, if I didn't feel like everybody in the movie was doing that, there were parts where a character would just say something to someone and then the other character would just kind of look off into space. And you wouldn't even know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, and I know that the point of the movie was this kind of dreamlike world. Like, I think uh, um, Nicholas Vending Refn, I think that he, uh, he, he kind of idolizes David Lynch and uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, the, the, I think he's a Chilean filmmaker. Okay. Uh, but he actually, this movie was dedicated, uh, Only God Forgives is dedicated to Alejandro Jodorowsky, who was thanked at the end of Drive, I noticed. So he clearly likes that guy. Like, his movies are really, like, visually sumptuous, but also very sort of difficult watches mm -hmm. so the fact that he would dedicate the movie to Yodorovsky it's not too surprising because it has that sort of art over storytelling kind of kind of sensibility but I think what you're getting at Steve which is something I kind of am not quite the reason I wouldn't really say that I thought it was a great movie myself is that I couldn't tell that it that the art was about anything like I couldn't tell that even all those long shots and all that deliberate pacing and everything I couldn't tell that it amounted to anything right which is where we come to the sort of the idea of the director sort of masturbating and you're just watching. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Steve, can you, think, can you think of any other movies or directors who've done this where you've generally been on board and excited and then they've done a movie that just seemed like they put their foot wrong? Can you think of this happening? Oh, on the spot. With anybody else? Uh, wow. What about Terrence Malick? Tree of Life. Well, I know you, yeah, we had that discussion. Tree of I, fucking I, admittedly, Life. Admittedly, I haven't seen Tree of Life. Oh, okay. Um... It's I don't like know that I could say one on. specific film because I know that I, I didn't I haven't hated any of his films. And you're gonna probably balk at this, but I feel like sometimes the, in terms of like a director just doing something because he can and people being okay with it because it's him. Mm -hmm. I feel like Wes Anderson. I get that feeling with him sometimes. Um, See, I would actually with, I actually would agree with you. Oh. I happen to like his choices, but I would agree that he's up. He gets to do what he wants. That that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like. And and the film that I feel that way about, I I was not a fan of uh, Darjeeling Limited. That would be my least favorite. I yeah. love that movie. For that, that and I had the most issue with that, and that's where kind of that's where I kind of got that gut feeling that I'm talking about now. Um, again, where, where, I didn't hate that film. Like I felt about like like the way I feel about Only God Forgives. It it just comes down to I just feel like maybe I'm just more interested in a story, mm -hmm. and I mean I'm all down for amazing visuals and like blow me away with that stuff, but don't cut. I, I'm watching this because I want to have a story. Yeah, I'm not watching just to look at something pretty. I mean, I, I can I can accept film as a as a media of of art and visually in you know enticing images and everything. But at the end of the day, like I choose to watch a movie over looking at artwork or design or cartoons or graphic novels or whatever because I want to see a story in action. I want to see moving pictures that that just suck me in and and I I don't want to let go of this of this scene because I'm so into it. And there was not really maybe only one scene in this film that I felt that way about. And I mean, it just that kind of just gets to me because, I, like I said, I was a huge fan of Bronson and I love Drive, one of my favorite movies of that year, because I was so attached to that character 
and what was happening, even if it was not a good thing. Yeah. You know, and I could have easily been attached to these characters, even though every single person in this movie is a piece of shit in most <laughs> yeah. cases. And and the way that the lines are delivered, it everything's so slow yeah. and kind of yeah. metered and sort of, I mean, so what, what do you think the effect of all that was, Ronald? As someone who enjoyed the movie a lot, like what did you glean from the fact that it was so sparse in terms of the dialogue and that you would have those long tracking shots and those kind of repetitive kind of dreamlike images. And there'd be scenes where sometimes it would be edited in such a way that you couldn't tell that you were, if you were watching like a compressed time frame, yeah. or if you were watching scenes intercut yeah. or if you were watching yeah. a flashback, like what, what did you take from that? I, I just gathered that it was just a fucked up world. I don't, I don't really know besides that what, what it really amounted to. And mm-hmm. I, I know that it, it felt, it felt right at the time. I don't know. Yeah. The the part that really got me was like the interweaved like was like was he imagining himself like fighting like that when they showed him just kind of sitting there with his fists up, what the fuck was that? What the, like when he had his arm out and got the one cut off. Yeah, yeah. Then... Like I, I get that it was like I guess it was his his fear of this guy. I mean, and what I was saying was like the the the, the kind of reveal thing that I think they were trying to do was. The reason why they looked up to him was because he was like an amazing fighter and they had that statue up that was kind of like an ode to him. That's why he's in front of it at that point where he's like talking about fighting him because that's him behind him. He's fighting basically like this idea of who this person represents to people. But it still was, it was weird. I mean, it did have its shortcomings and it it felt it felt long at times, but... I don't know why it, it 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 sounds like it should have been shitty to me, and it wasn't for some reason. And it wasn't because because I've I've turned on directors. Yeah, I mean, can you think of anyone that you would put in that category? Somebody that you like <sighs> love their career, and then they've done a movie um, that just made your made your stomach drop at the. At it was the actually it's actually backwards. Mm-hmm. I think it was backwards more. I think it's Quentin Tarantino more. Um, I I saw newer stuff before i saw reservoir dogs and i hated that fucking movie yeah so it's like more like a backward sort of thing but there were movies that i've seen from him that i think were you know that was a questionable movie to me like even though like it's it's held in high regard when i think of directors that are kind of off being themselves you know wes anderson's not a bad example at all steve just because and darjeeling limited really is the movie where maybe it was the most of his ticks on display without what felt like an enjoyable, character-rich, funny story behind it. You know, that was the which, one that... Which, leading up to that, that's what I love right. about his film. Exactly. And, yeah. But I would say directors... That, and I've happened... I've come around to like or love just about all of the movies that these guys have done, but I would say that as far as being out in their own world, the Coen brothers, for me, have had a couple of movies that on first viewing, I was like, oh, that feels like kind of a letdown because I, I want more from them. And I, you know, you see a movie by one of your favorite directors and you know it'll be another four or five years sometimes before they do another movie. The Coens are more regular than that, one, one yeah. or two years. But if you aren't totally in love with it, it kind of feels like, oh, crap, when, when, when's the next statement going to be? And I think that uh, like The Man Who Wasn't There was one. Yeah. The first time I saw it, it kind of left me cold. I, next time I saw it, it really started to work its spell on me. I really started to appreciate what they were doing. Now, A Serious Man is one that I really liked the first time, but I know a lot of people felt like it was kind of an off movie for them. But I would say that they're directors who... That's a sad movie. They're directors who I think could lead me to to try a movie and to dig into it and to look for something in it. And if it wasn't there, 
I mean, I'm thinking of their most disappointing films are uh, Intolerable Cruelty and The Lady Killers, yeah. most likely. And those are movies that, that have their entertaining moments, but definitely I felt like, oh, this is not them. This is not them at their best. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of is that sort of anger almost that you're talking about, Steve, where you feel sort of... Because you, 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 feel... you know there's a talent. You know that yeah. there's true skill and there's a reason why you really, really love mm-hmm. or a fan of whatever yeah. degree it is. And you just feel like they kind of get lost or something, or something happened where, you know, production wasn't long enough, or the budget wasn't there, or the the time to develop the story wasn't there, or whatever happened, and whoever's accountability there is for it. But it's just you know, it's more frustration because I do genuinely like this this filmmaker, and you mm-hmm. look forward to seeing what these exciting voices have to offer, and it's just kind of a huge letdown to me to to you know. Not to mention, I really like Ryan Gosling, too. You know, I just felt like he was not anything special in this movie, also. Well, what I've heard is that they changed his character a lot, even though, supposedly, this movie was going to go before they shot Drive. Right. And then he, Refn was actually called on to drive by Gosling, Gosling. who had replaced Hugh Jackman yep. on the project. And so... Hugh Jackman? And so this was planned before Drive, which would make it seem like, okay, so this, this character wasn't conceived in reaction to the character of the driver in Drive. But right. when Gosling got to Bangkok, they sort of decided once they were making the movie that bring that having this plot where this westerner comes in and kicks everyone's ass would have been too cliche and too yeah. trite it was weird once the like the 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 biggest part of the film comes up you're like okay this is going to be yeah you're like Whoa. Well, i actually thought that was funny that <laughs> that part was, i did like it's like what it knocks him down a peg or two yeah it fucks him up like yeah but it, i think that scene might have played better if i'd thought that Ryan Gosling's character had anything going on at that point in the movie. It was pretty clear that he was just kind of a, a chump, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was funny was, to me, I noticed that uh, Kristen Scott, Scott Thomas's character, who was at least kind of memorable as a villain, if she had somehow been the villain in The Wolverine. Oh yeah. I think that you would have. I think you would have actually. If she was the bad boss, if she was like the mob boss. Hell yeah. That Wolverine was going up against at the end. I would have looked forward to that All confrontation. Yeah. <laughs> she was. She was really. She was good. actually the only minor thing that I enjoyed about the movie. I mean, I don't know that I really. And she liked seemed her. to be having fun. Too. Yeah, she was totally eating it all. Yeah. I mean, like. She was. Uh, I think on Wikipedia it says like he visioned her as Lady Macbeth meets, Vers- uh, what's her name, Diana Versace or whatever yeah, yeah. her name is. Wow. I read that. Totally too. like. Yeah. What an accurate <laughs> she was description. So shady. I mean, what a mom complex and just like. <laughs> What a oh my god! And the way things resolve horrible. with her, the way things resolve with her is so <laughs> yeah. it's so brutal. I mean, again, I think in a movie that I had felt more engaged with, I would have found some of that stuff that happens towards the end to be like really shocking yeah. and interesting. Um, something else I thought was interesting that I I read. I don't know if you've heard this that uh, Refn actually has like a a form of color blindness, where yeah. mid tones. He doesn't see. He can't distinguish. Oh, and wow. so extreme saturated colors. That's why his movies are so colorful, <laughs> so saturated. Is because if he did like subtle colors, he wouldn't. He wouldn't, he wouldn't see them. Wow. But I, I really know. noticed that. Why? I mean, of course, in Only God Forgives, it's All extremely colorful. Yeah, yeah. But in Drive, having seen Only God Forgives first, it was great to appreciate the way that in Drive, the painting with color and light was so was just as beautiful. I thought. I thought. I can totally see all the the. Right down to the soundtrack, everyone was raving about the music in Drive, and I, you know, was like, "Oh, it sounds pretty cool," so but good. it's Drive so effective is in so the movie. Good. Yeah, it's, well, it I mean, so good. I feel like I saved a nice little pleasure for myself, you know. So you I, totally did. Yeah. I was, surpri- <laughs> I mean, when you told me that, I was like, I, one, I didn't even, I guess I didn't remember, or if you had told us before, mm-hmm. I had, but yeah. but I, I was like totally, I, I probably just me- intentionally yeah, right. blocked it out. Like, <laughs> how can we record with John if he hasn't seen Drive? Do you right. know when we saw that movie? Dude, we were going at Landmark. Yeah, it was, was like, like there was like no, five people yeah, in the five theater. Five people there. We watched it. We were like, "What was that? Yeah. What, what, what did we just watch?" So good. Yeah, it was. 
So uh, as soon as the music kicks in, that title sequence. Yeah. Oh, I was uh, shot. that the soundtrack like blew so my mind. I'd rather just reflect on Drive and not talk about Only God Forgives Me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a here's a thought that I have. I don't know how many of movies this is the case with, but here's something that might be at at the root of this. Steve, did you notice that who who wrote the screenplay for Only God Forgives? No, it's Nicholas Finning Refn. Okay. Who wrote the screenplay for Drive? Is a guy named uh, Hussein Amini. Okay. Oh wow. Who hasn't like got the best resume, but he's a screenwriter. Okay. And I looked. Valhalla Rising also has a co-screenwriter. So maybe they just need to bring someone in. There's to... there's definitely something to that. Yeah. Because somebody else, not that he's on the same level as as this director, but Zack Snyder, I feel like the same thing happens to him when, he... when he writes his own. Yes. <laughs> he just goes crazy when he, when he does not have somebody else helping him with a script. Like yeah. I referenced the Dawn of the Dead remake. Uh, I think it was. Shit, James Gunn? Mm-hmm. Did he get a writer credit on that? Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, that always confused me. James Gunn wrote that, and Zack Snyder directed, directed it. it yeah. Right, and I mean, and the, I forget what other films like he wrote and directed. I think uh, oh, the, Sucker Punch. Sucker right? Punch. Yeah, with the, mm-hmm. with the chicks, and not. I mean, in my opinion, not good. Again, so, I mean, maybe they are more similar than I thought. Different scope, you know, in in big big studio films versus smaller films, but visually, I, in my opinion, stunning. Film, like yeah, in as, different ways. I, Zack Snyder, even more so, is surprising to me. And this is going to turn out to be the best segue of all time, Steve, by oh, the way. Bring it. Going into Zack Snyder now. But Zack Snyder, even at times where I've thought, okay, he's definitely not the type of director that I like rave about, I will see some of his images and I'll just be blown away by them. Like totally. his visual sense is really impeccable. And I like the way he puts together an image. And I think he's one of those guys who uses uh, CGI in an interesting way, in an artistic way. I agree. Um, definitely not always with the best material. But uh, yeah, interesting now, Zack Snyder, next film is going to be, is it Superman versus Batman or Batman versus Superman? I think Superman has top billing. I think it's Superman versus Superman Batman. versus Batman. Superman versus so first Batman. question, is it an unwise decision not to give him a movie to get to be Superman? Because you know that Superman versus Batman, I mean, everybody likes Batman better than Superman. Yeah. So is that not a little unfair to old soups? That's a that, really like, good point. His next movie, he doesn't get to be, yeah. you know... It doesn't get to be full-fledged Clark Clark Kent working at the Daily Planet Superman without Batman there stealing the spotlight. If if we were to have a tally yeah. of DC versus Marvel, Marvel is yeah. punting. They're not waiting any longer. Right, right. So I think <laughs> That's the, what it comes right. to. So I think point. what's happening is they're trying to pull, pull out the big guns for this release because DC has been falling behind. Besides Batman, I think the problem with um, the DC... Whoever, whoever is commanding the DC sort of franchises is they don't believe in any of their other superheroes besides Batman. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, particularly since they're really good DC characters, uh, some of which I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it, if if we if we if they gave people chances, we would know. Like, they can't keep investing in Batman. So I think so. Bring, that's maybe that's what I'm saying. Is to me bringing Batman into this right, series so Bra- quick almost seems like they don't have any faith in in DC properties yeah. without Batman. Yeah, it it feels like that a little bit. I guess w- one of the bigger questions is what version of Batman are we going to see? Yeah. That's, well, that's what they said. Really... Very positive news that they are going with an older actor to play Batman. Yes. The, the, the notion that he's an established hero, yes. we're not seeing his origin. So we're doing like Dark Knight Returns, old. Well, I don't know how old. They've said 40. <laughs> oh, okay. So I love that that's the, old for Hollywood. Dark, Dark like Knight Returns was like 55. He was yeah. 55 when he did that. So I'm wondering, that's... that's well, see, but in Dark Knight needs... Returns, Superman, and this is just for anyone out there who's not a nerd, uh, the... Uh, Dark Knight Returns is the graphic novel mm-hmm. or the limited series that got collected as a graphic novel that really started off the whole sort of comics aren't just for kids anymore thing back yeah. in the 80s. 
and people have been wanting them to adapt that story for the screen for a long time. It's an interesting angle to take a Superman versus Batman movie and go with that story. But in that story, Superman's kind of like a government stooge, mm. and Batman is, a, you know, he's Batman. Everyone loves Batman. And he's kind of fighting the system. And again, I just kind of feel like that. Like I, I would, I would be a little disappointed if Superman in the next movie is already being set up as this annoying government stooge. Yeah, I hope not. Again, because I, I liked Henry Cavill as Superman, and I wanted to see what they would do with that. But I mean, yeah. I, my feeling is they're probably not going to cut Superman off at the knees too much in this movie. I'd be I surprised so. if they adapt Dark Knight Returns too much because that material is is different in a lot of ways than the yeah. usual superhero fare. But I think it'll be interesting. I, them choosing the older actors. That's incredible to me. Mostly because, like, we need to see... They need someone with, like, quiet authority, a little bit of age on him. Someone like George Clooney that could really take that character and do something memorable with it. Yeah, Uh, With nipples? Yeah. (laughs) Well, so what's Val Kilmer doing? He's an actor I've always admired. He could probably take a whack at (laughs) that character. Oddly enough. And he might actually do something interesting with it. That'd be really cool if they pick somebody. Josh Brolin was the name that made me So yeah, me happy. let's we're talking about casting for Batman in this film yeah. since they're going to bring him in and he's going to be an adversary to Superman and he's just got to skew a little older than Henry Cavill who skews pretty young. So yeah, some of the names I've heard make me think that's a bad idea. Some of them I'm lukewarm about and then Josh Brolin our chant Brolin Brolin. I just Bro haven't heard anything Lin. better than Brolin. Especially if he's like stocky like yeah. like man, I I think He's got the chin for it, too. He has the chin for it. I remember years ago, there were people that were talking about John Hamm. Oh, wow. I can see John, John Hamm doing John, great. That, that's somebody John I thought Hamm of earlier. John Hamm would kill as, as Batman. And he's worked with Jack, Zack Snyder before. He was in Sucker Punch. So he would, be, be he would be my favorite, but I don't think he's... He has said before, though, that the reason, like, when people were talking about him for Superman, he had said that he thought they needed... That they were looking for someone younger, meaning around 30. Right, right. But he's sort of the right age to play this version of Batman, Batman that they're yeah, talking about. yeah. Will they go? Will they do? Well, you know, everyone wants Idris Elba to be cast as everything now. Do you think they should just go ahead and <laughs> cast Castle. Idris Elba? Just... Eventually, it's going to stick. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, man, I... it's going to end up being like a. It's going to. They're going to end up like picking like a young guy that no one's ever heard of. I really yeah. hope not. I, I hope not too. But yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, do you remember it's... who was being mentioned for Batman previously? The last time a Batman versus Superman movie was being talked about Mm-mm. was Army Hammer. Uh, which is just hilarious oh, wow. now. I, I just think that that's an idea that might have sounded good to people six months ago, and now it's like, no, 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 forget all those Army Hammer memos we sent out. I, I would like I the idea. Get the, I don't get the Army Hammer thing. I like, like I, Army Hammer. I, I haven't. I, I got mean, it. Even since, like, social... I didn't like... I got it in Social Network, but he was playing, like, an entitled preppy douche, sure. and he did a great job, and I just don't have any interest in seeing that guy, like, yeah. you know. But he's, I didn't, he's huge, though, right? Like, I, I feel like if they pick... They shouldn't pick somebody that's, like, really, really tall. Mm-hmm. I feel like Batman isn't really, really tall. Like he's like six, three, six. So, who are some four. of the people you've heard mentioned that are no goes for you? Um, the dude from True Blood. Oh, uh, Joe Mentiglia. Oh, yeah, no, Joe. That, was, that would be terrible. Yeah. He was on that list that we were we were sharing with one another. Mm-hmm. Roland was at the top. Uh, Armitage, some Richard Armitage, somebody I thought would be a good pick as well. I'm not super familiar with him, but I mean, I. He's in the the new Hobbit film. He's in the two coming up. Yeah. What what's it, who does he play in the Hobbit? He film? He plays Thorin. Right, right, right. Thorin Oakenshield. <laughs> right. Uh, thank you, John. <laughs> he's sort of like the leader of the dwarves. <laughs> okay. He's going to help them uh, regain <laughs> their uh, ancestral city of. I'd Aragorn. rather have this told to me by. <laughs> well, the thing is, Smaug the dragon. I'd rather Henry tell me this. <laughs> see, well, I'll go get him. Um, no, but uh, uh, who was it that I heard that I thought sounded like a bad idea? It was Gerard Butler. I would be oh, pretty yeah, irritated no. with that. No. That would be weird. The weird thing with me liking Armitage is that I feel like he he looks like Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. and I could see Hugh Jackman 
in it as well. Well, you know who I, I thought would actually be good since they're skewing older and they would need someone who could maybe play pretty well against Superman. Someone came to my mind, but I don't think he's available. Ooh. Is Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a pretty good chin. It's like his face. He's got a nice looking, you know, nice looking. He'd be like Spider Man, Batman. Like, yeah. He'd be like almost too snarky. He like... would keep the Tony Stark boy band goatee though, yeah. probably, and it would look Ugh. stupid in the cowl. No, so I guess what we're saying is there's a, there's definitely some potential for this to go right. I think it's just great and, that it, I mean it, it, I do agree with you. It almost kind of seems, especially if they go deep into that, uh, you know, just the Dark Knight Returns series. You know, I actually I actually just kind of was recently getting into that, like trying to read more about that when it all came out because I'm not really into the whole comic book side of it, but. Um, it, it it just it, it is really what Ronald said. It's like Marvel is. Leaps and bounds ahead of DC, Kicking and and Man, and Man of Steel stuck. Unlike uh, what was the one that Brian Singer did a few years, Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. It did, which did not. That was like they're trying to get Superman, and after that was when they were talking about the Batman versus Superman thing. Never happened. So like now that Man of Steel has actually taken on and been successful, um, really successful actually. Uh, this is their chance, and I think they're gonna just while while it's hot, they're gonna hit it and. You know, I think it's also going to obviously give them a chance to reboot the Batman franchise, or I, to set up this idea of kind of this this universe is Batman, which is yeah. they've been really clear that they want to keep the Nolan trilogy off in its yeah, own world, separate, and I, yeah. I think that's a that's a decent idea. It seems I, like I, it's a little soon to reboot a character like Batman, but we're talking about two years from now, actually. Yeah. Jeffrey Dean Morgan also thrown around the guy that played the comedian in in Watchmen. In Watchmen. Eh. I'd I'd vote no on that personally, but eh. maybe. Yeah. But um, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, I just think it, it'd be interesting if if Batman is is a not as big of a character as we would ex- like from the title expect him to be. Yeah. In the second film, if it still is a Superman film that you know maybe introduces some other central Superman character that's even larger than Batman in this film, mm-hmm. but the Batman obviously is in the title. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm I'm up for it. I mean, I'm excited. I like talking about Batman, even if it seems very. Very soon after the Nolan trilogy is over, right. but I'm okay. Yeah. We'll it, survive. Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> I think that's the key to making this a good film. They, they're they going to have to make this version of Batman totally different. Like They can't make it even remotely similar. Unless I don't think it will Unless be. it's an older Batman. Like I said, like that's the only way. I feel like if they kind of play on that Batman, it's people are going to be disappointed. Because it's... I don't think you, I don't think you can execute... I did read that. that they tried to get Bale. Like, they, yeah. yeah. Initially, they tried to get too. him in this to continue that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably a better idea not to... I think it's better to leave that as it is and maybe just start yeah, start fresh. fresh. Yeah, That'd be cool. Well, the one thing about it, even though, like I've said, I thought it would be nice to give Superman his own sequel before moving on to this, is that if they do, if they are building towards the Justice League movie, it makes sense that they would want a universe build maybe not follow the Marvel model of here's a guy and then he gets a sequel and this guy has another movie that's just him and he gets a sequel is instead of having characters with separate franchises, if you yeah. kind of create a mega franchise that like evolves from Man of Steel into Justice League, yeah. I could see that I could see that seeming like in, in six years, if they pull it off, I could see that having seemed like a cool plan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I remember when Marvel laid out their initial slate and they said they were doing a Thor movie and a Captain America movie before they got to the Avengers, part of me thought... That doesn't sound like a very smart plan. <laughs> People want to see the Avengers. I mean, now we see that they did yeah. something really clever. It made sense. As far as establishing those characters for moviegoers. You know, yeah. DC might be doing the same thing, but I mean, after Batman, there's all these characters. Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. They, they yeah. really have to introduce and Green Lantern reintroduce 
you know what I mean? They have to kind of wash away people's memory of that. So yeah. that Ryan they're going to have to introduce them. In, I don't think they're going to make separate movies for it. They're going to have to introduce a couple in some yeah. movies. There's no way. Can you imagine what that timeline looks like? Well, if like, Batman versus be... Superman is next, and then the next movie is Justice League, and it's got those two characters kind of established, I could see them introducing three or four characters in one movie. Yeah, but I thought that I read somewhere that it was supposed to. I think they. I thought they said they were going. There was going to be a. Like two other individual films before Justice Justice League. Mm-hmm. So that means that Justice League wouldn't come out till like what 2016? Yeah, I think that's what I read. Jesus, that's way we're too getting, long. We're getting I, into I, these really futuristic. I have to look at that again. Yeah, but still, it was, I mean, it was that, Batman that versus Superman, and I want to say there was a Flash movie, the the Green Lantern, and hmm. I think and then that would take you to sixteen ish. I don't know seventeen. Wow. Too, but yeah, I think they're trying problem. to like just basically adopt the same model that No Love for Wonder Woman, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it's phase two. Did you hear uh, Nicholas Vending Refn actually said he wanted to make a Wonder Woman movie with Christine Hendricks? Oh, I would watch that. But you know, they would never sign off on like having <laughs> such a bombshell play a character that they yeah. want to market to like everybody. You know what yeah. I mean? There there's no way that you She's can have a movie busted. with Christine Hendricks running around in a costume that yeah. wouldn't be R rated just <laughs> Just, for just from the the motion factor. Yeah, I watched the animated. Uh, Which I was surprised. I didn't know she was in Drive. So her her little character. Oh drive. yes, what a very yeah, that was, nice surprise. Yeah, very brutal, very weird. Yeah. So yeah, since we're talking about sequels, I guess we'll just kind of wrap it up with this one last little topic. Something I read that I thought was kind of an interesting notion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were recently talking about Pacific Rim and how it didn't seem to kind of hit the the zeitgeist. Like it, the word of mouth was kind of mm-hmm. mediocre, and it kind of fell down the in terms of box office, it fell down the list pretty quickly. And so all the pre-release chatter about a sequel kind of being inevitable seemed like it was not going to happen. And I don't really have anything invested in whether that movie gets a sequel. I'm kind of glad. I I think I said this before. I kind of like it when movies like this don't get sequels. I like it when you just tell a story and you're done. But I thought this was an interesting thing that because of the record-breaking opening it had in China, really only nine million dollars but it's like this warner brothers biggest opening ever in china and that means including all the harry potter films um that it's now looking like they're really gearing up like it hasn't opened yet in japan and there's some other territories where they expect it to do really well so it's right now at about 227 million in terms of worldwide gross which is slightly up from the the projected budget so at this point it's looking like this movie that is still considered sort of a flop might get a sequel because of the foreign box office. Right. What this made me think about, and I think another movie that this happened with, I think uh, the Hansel and Gretel. The Witch Hunters. The Witch Hunters. Yeah. What, was that the name of that? With uh, with uh, Jeremy Renner. But that was another one that did well in foreign box office mm. and flopped domestically and is getting a sequel now. <laughs> so uh, the question is, Are is this a trend... That, is this all part of the globalization of entertainment, that the worldwide box office is almost becoming as important, if not more, than the American? Well, the, the problem really kind of comes down to the fact that we are the home base for shitty movies. But we're also the, kind of the home base for movies. So what I'm For saying, movies, but, but yeah, are so, we, Is that not changing but, then? But, 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 the, but I guess the issue with that, though, is we have been force-fed these movies for quite some time, and we're accustomed to... These big budget so, movies. So are, are we getting burned out on it because we I see too many of them? I think we're getting burned out, yeah. And so, they don't have enough? Exactly, yeah. So they, they get exposed to them. because Well, typically American movies do well. There's sort of a fascination with all things American yeah, in certain places. Yeah. It's really weird that a movie that at first one of the things about it that we might have admired was that it was an original idea or you know cobbled together from a lot of influences, but it was a new idea. Yeah. 
and it's a it's a catch twenty two. We like to see a new idea, a movie that's not a sequel to something, it's not a franchise, whatever. But the way you prove that movie is successful is by it turning into a franchise. Yeah, dumb movies are gonna be mass produced because of that. I kind of look at it like. I mean, I, 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 there's definitely a correlation, I think, in some of the quality of these films that are huge over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pacific Rim, I did really enjoy, so I don't know that I really would lump that in there. I think it's just actually kind of what Rana was saying. The, ty- the type of film that is more so is what is making it so big globally. I think the global box office is something that's always been... It's it's always been a huge factor in a, not only a movie's success, but probably in its its sequel-ness. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think recently it's become a bigger player in the game because of movies failing here. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that they rely on that now and they see that kind of what you just were saying or getting to was that these movies, even when they're making them, it's probably not going to do well here. Like a movie like Hansel and Gretel, like I would totally, that's a great example, made $55 million domestically and globally it's made a quarter billion. Yep. So, I mean, four times as much globally wow. as it's made here. You know, which is crazy. But, I mean, it's a dumbass story. <laughs> Very broad. A lot of these cultures internationally know this story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just... Um, I mean, it, it's a new it's a new well for these studios to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one, actually, that's coming out this week, Percy Jackson, the sequel. Yep. Um, was supposed to be the next Harry Potter film, directed by Chris Columbus, the first film was. Huge budget. Huge flop. I don't even think... It, it made, like, $89 million here. But it made like three hundred. I know worldwide. my I know my niece is looking forward to it. Right. But I but I was shocked that it got a sequel, and that's another one that's just like the Hansel and Gretel, yeah. and you know, and, even, and, and, even though Pacific Rim is a movie I liked, I still would say I'm shocked that if it gets a sequel, I'd be sort of surprised. But based on throwing darts at the wall, you yeah. if you just throw it out, you distribute this thing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna watch it. Right. It's so weird. And if you put it on a worldwide scale. There's all these people in the world. There are going to be some people that are going to watch these movies. That's just what but it is. But I think the point is, though, is that it's not only about the domestic gross, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Like, I think you both were alluding to it, but I think in, in yesteryear of, of Hollywood successes and before the box office started going down locally, or domestically, rather, it uh, that was like, a, I think, a studio's endgame was how much money it would gross domestically. You didn't always hear about these... You weren't always seeing like the the worldwide grosses and all these press releases at all. And when a movie failed, this movie was a bomb. That's it. Like mm-hmm. that was the end of the story, and it wouldn't have a sequel, you know. But now it's well, what's the silver lining of this? Oh well, it made so much over in you know Korea or Japan or whatever um, in Europe, and that's the light. Like that's that's the saving grace for some of these studios mm-hmm. is that domestically. They'll still make the sequel, and it probably won't make any money here, but it'll sure sure as hell clean up over there. And it's like another. It's just. A, it's another. It's a new avenue for them. But I don't think. sequels usually get bigger? Like, don't budgets usually get bigger on sequels? So does that mean a stripped down not, Pacific Rim two? Not. Be u- the- I mean, not usually. It's. Not, it's not. I think it's not an. It's definitely not an automatic thing. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about a sequel that did, I'm mean, a film that did well enough here to warrant a sequel. Yeah. The answer is yes. But in a lot of these examples that we're giving. The, like for I mean, Percy Jackson is a great because I just read this yeah. article today about Percy Jackson about how surprising. Uh, it is that it, it got a sequel and retained a lot of the cast or all the cast, the main cast, but that the budget was like cut by a third. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think it was like... Well, they said, Stanley Tucci, will you come back? And he said, do I get to have a crazy wig? And they said, yes. And he said, I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Do I get to overact in this one? I think the budget for the first one was like $100 million. And I think I read somewhere like this one's like 40 Wow. So they see that 
the budget is not what made this movie successful globally. Right. The budget that we had on the first movie. It's the content, it's the story, it's the worldwide appeal, yeah. maybe, of this book series. The chemistry of the characters is pretty Something cool. like that. I mean, I mean like... but they're like, so we don't need to spend $100 million because it did not succeed here. Well, where I mean, as where soon the as American I... public is looking for this huge production. Yeah. Internationally, we don't need that, really. But I still feel like what studios are going to do, I just feel like studios always learn the wrong lesson when they see a trend. And I wonder if this means they're going to do more kind of more things that are just intended j- just to hit straight to the heart of that sort of easily pleased yeah. eye candy international market. But I'm, I don't mean to denigrate the, the movie tastes of people in other lands. They seem they seem to make some good movies over there. But why is it that the American shit that seems like the worst is the shit that just is huge in other places? I think it's, we throw so much money at yeah. those movies. We make it so like, shiny. I, yeah. It's, I'm trying to pull the exact number up. But I know Iron Man 3, over $400 million domestic. 1.2 billion domestic uh, worldwide, so 800 plus million is from territories other than the U.S. Mm-hmm. where it should be the primary pool. You know where you would think at least from what the other films have grossed. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that Iron Man three is only point. Th- you know, it's basically it's 300 million behind the Avengers, which was like the juggernaut and juggernauts for the next probably five to ten years yeah. of movies. It's just crazy when you think about things like that. Well, there's something about that that's like, I think that Iron Man 3 really benefited from... Oh, totally. Sort of feeling like it was a sequel to The Avengers. And I was wondering, it's kind of interesting to think about that with regards to something like, even though I was just saying Pacific Rim is now projected to make maybe as much as like $250 worldwide, that's still one-fifth of what Iron Man 3 made at this point already. You know what I mean? It's like, I guess Iron Man 3 is still making money somehow out there, (laughs) and then it'll hit home video and it'll do it again, so... So yeah, by that standard, Pacific Rim is still a very modest success. I wonder what they were projecting on this, that movie based on you know probably Del Toro not being, even a quarter of that. Yeah, they probably didn't even expect the. Quarter. I wonder. I wonder what they what they were expecting because it did kind of seem like the marketing for Pacific Rim was kind of non-existent. And then on that last week, I saw a lot of ads, but I didn't see. I just didn't feel the awareness of it. There's something happening in the past few years with the global box office. What mm-hmm. whatever. I, you know, there's something behind some like a closed door that we just don't have access to or see. But in terms of not only the reporting that is transparent, but in what a plan is for a movie, mm-hmm. you know, globally, it's it's something has shifted in the past two or three years that may come to light in the next two or three. But it just it's cr- it's just crazy when you start looking at the numbers that Iron Man two globally six hundred million, Iron Man three double that. Yeah. You know, yeah. at, of course, Avengers definitely blew that. I think, like you just said, John. Well, but Iron Man Two was also fifty percent as good as Iron well, Man Three. <laughs> beyond beyond the quality, because we're just talking about yeah, quality no, right. globally no, right. blowing up. Yeah, you know, a film's really quality is not office. part of this conversation at all. You know? Right, it's not. It's just the awareness, the marketing, and the access to. Yeah. And I think it's really crazy to say that Iron Man Two grossed three hundred domestically, six hundred international, and then the next one it improved upon that by thirty three percent. You know, it's just it's crazy. That that's where the paradigm is shifting is that global box office. Even a movie like World War Z, you know, which was a lot of people were thinking that movie was going to possibly bomb mm-hmm. when it came out because of production troubles, word of mouth, when it wasn't that great. But came out. I was a fan of that movie. It's actually done really well domestically and even internationally. It's like made back and then some. A, a budget that went way north of a of reportedly two hundred million dollars. But again, like I think these studios, for a, the type of film that they can market it internationally, yeah. That isn't truly a Western type of movie. Mm-hmm. 
they don't worry about it as much. I think about it not doing as well if it doesn't if it underperforms here. Because there's that second level of distribution, and sometimes it comes even out before, like you said. But there's always that little yeah. nut that they're hanging on to that it possibly there's a bank there. I mean, like there they, isn't. I think they expect it with a certain kind of movie, and most of it's like these temple releases. But like, uh, like I was reading about like the Lone Ranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, Gore Verbinski and yeah. Johnny Depp and Army Hammer are having to go publicize and do kind of promotional work in other markets yep. and it's really weird the it's, stink it's, on it's that movie so is weird. is so power overpowering that they're having to spend some of their time sort of explaining why it did so poorly here here and i mean and they're thinking it's not it's going to basically it's they're not expecting those returns for this film internationally mm-hmm. apparently oh wow because it's such a western idea like it, it's a western you know it's got to suck if you're an actor having to do that because yeah. i feel like when a movie's about to come out as an actor you get to act like it doesn't matter if it's good or not yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you ever heard that? Like, an actor you like, you always wonder if they know if the movies that they're in are no good. They don't <laughs> yeah. have to own up to it. They go yeah. on a couple of talk shows. They do a couple of things. They, they, they yeah. it's sort of like they're off shooting their next movie when people are actually talking about how the movie was. Yeah. But to then have to, after everyone's been just, you know, drubbing it soundly here, to be like, well, now we're going to go to all these other markets. You can't pretend. I blame Johnny Depp playing a Native American. You can't pretend that everything's okay. It. I still haven't seen it. I don't know that I will. I've heard. It's, what's funny is I've heard some people that I was expecting to sort of come out saying, "Eh, not bad," w- that have just said it. It sucked. So it's like Lone Ranger seems to be a movie that everyone could kind of recognize. <laughs> Universally the, the stinkitude of it. It's really not Ronnie Depp's uh, best work. <laughs> Ronnie yeah, not, Depp, not good. Yeah, Ronnie Depp. not good. I think I think any person with the name Army Hammer has a fucking dick. Well, I think he sounds like a made-up person. It does. That, yeah, Arm, like, all I think is Arm and Hammer. I know. It's yeah. like, like thinking of baking soda. I think that's why. That I think that's why he did it. I think well, it always confused me because Arm and Hammer, Arm and Hammer is the baking soda, and then Arm and Hammer, like the name Arm and Hammer, was like an art collector. Yeah. That had this big collection that toured around when I was a kid, and that confused the shit out of me. Like, what is this? <laughs> what does this Rembrandt have to do with baking soda? I don't get it. Right. Well, guys, that was a pretty good, uh, a pretty good survey of some some interesting topics. I think mm-hmm. we covered a lot of ground. Anybody yeah. have anything else? No. I got nothing. I, I got a little bit I'm of self, little bit of self promotion. Okay. The band I'm in, Rosemary Stretch. We just finished an EP last oh, wow. week. So if you go to rosemarystretch.bandcamp.com, look for uh, Proof of Concept, the the new EP we just put out last week. Congratulations! It's, it's a three dollar donation, or you can pay as much as you want. It's the oh, Bandcamp nice. model, okay. and you know, obviously, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bandcamp, but you can you can stream the music from there. So you I can do hear like the whole, you can lot. hear the whole EP cool. before purchasing. But anybody Can't out wait there, to listen. Yeah, I expect. Two or three downloads to be generated by this bit of self-promotion. Well, the two are here, I know. So you should, yeah. you should, you oh, should yeah. expect like four to five. <laughs> Shoot a little higher, John. Yeah, rosemarystretch.bandcamp.com. And that's Rosemary Stretch, like the flower, the name, and the verb. Cool, cool. Yeah. Congratulations, sir. Well, thank you. That's amazing. Just putting it out into the world, see what happens. So I think that's it. I think that's a pretty I good wrap-up. Yeah. I think so. Nice little promotion. We, we wrapped the John. shit out of that package. Yeah, yeah we did. <laughs> Double-bagged it. We, we spoke quite a bit. Yes, we did. <laughs> so, you know, we haven't said this in a while, but we do have a website. Oh, uh, there's a, there's a yeah, movie yeah, website. Yeah, movie, movie, movie.net. That, you, can, that. you can stream the podcast from there. Surely it's frequently updated with all new content. So, I mean, at least the podcasts are <laughs> on there. Podcast, you can yeah. rely on that at least, as with long as Ronald posts it. Wonderful pictures to accompany them. Um, yeah, and we also have the facebook.com slash movieshmovie, which mm. is probably more active than movieshmovie.net. Yeah, we do occasionally post things on there. I would yeah. also say, if you're listening to this, and you're what the way you listen to Movie Shmovie is you go to movieshmovie.net, 
and listen to it from there. We would really love it if you subscribe to us uh, through iTunes. Well, yeah, iTunes, instead. silly. Actually kind of helps us out. It helps you out. Uh, and I just realized that if everyone who does go to the site to listen to the podcast does then subscribe through iTunes, then there'll be no reason for anyone to ever go to the we site. We should just shut the site down. <laughs> so I don't know what we should do I think do we here. just had a revelation. Guys, we need to figure out what to do with our site. You want to email us at moviesmovie at gmail.com. We are selling the domain name right. to the highest bidder. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's good times, guys. Good to see you all. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back shortly. But thank you guys for listening. And as always, you've made our day. Take care. I just want you guys to know I think you are real human beings and real heroes. Can you cue the music? <laughs> yeah. Can you cue the music? Thank I you. Will cue it. Boom, 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 boom.